Welcome to the Sleep Roundtable podcast. Each week leading up to the 10th annual Sleep Roundtable, I'll be chatting with one of this year's renowned industry expert speakers. If you haven't already, be sure to get registered for the Roundtable. It's the leading dental sleep conference for sleep dentists and their teams. And it's in Dallas on October 7th through 10th. Go to sleeproundtable.com to get registered. Now sit back and get ready to learn a thing or two in preparation for this year's highly anticipated Sleep Roundtable. Enjoy. Hey, today I'm speaking with Dr. Guy Yatros. He is the CEO and founder of Dental Sleep Solutions, also known as DS3. That's what all of us know it as. Uh, Four Pillar Billing, Dental Sleep Medicine Insider Magazine. This list goes on and on and on. Plus, he has a sleep dental practice himself. Uh, when do you have time to even practice dental sleep medicine? Uh, Mondays and Tuesdays. <laughs> and uh, But I've got a really good team. That's, you know, if you want to do this and uh, still do a lot of other things, uh, getting a good team doing a lot of the work and um, getting them very efficient makes it so I can still see patients two days a week. Yeah. So, and I love efficiency. And I know that's what you're going to be talking about at the roundtable is how to make your sleep medicine practice more efficient. And you do that by just working two days a week. And I'm, I'm betting you have team that works the rest of the week. Yeah. And I have an associate. So we have three offices where we just do dental sleep, uh, Sarasota, Braden, and Tampa, Florida. And so uh, my associate, Justin Elifafer, sees lots of the patients too. So, uh, but then I still see a fair amount myself. And uh, again, having a good team uh, with efficient systems allows that. So yeah, yeah I work five days a week. I, <laughs> it's not like I don't work three days a week. I, I run dental sleep solutions and do a lot of lectures and a lot of other things uh, for my time as well. Yeah. So you, I know you're from Kentucky. So tell me a little bit, you went to the University of Kentucky or, or the College of Dentistry in Kentucky, right? Yes. Graduated 30, gosh, man, we're getting old, 30 something years ago, 1989, I graduated from Kentucky's dental school. And um, I always just wanted to live in Florida. Uh, growing up, we'd come to Florida and I just, you know, be sad when I had to go back to Kentucky, even though Kentucky's a beautiful place. It rained a lot. And uh, I think some of my messages to dentists doing this is, you know, you got to take chances. You got to decide what you want and then, and then, you know, take some chances. And so I took the Florida board after practicing in Eastern Kentucky for uh, about a year. I learned a lot about extractions there. And then I realized I learned I didn't like doing those. And so I took the Florida board and uh, moved to Florida and early 90s and uh, worked for another dentist for a while, Panky guy. That uh, was what I learned uh, uh, a lot about the Panky Institute became involved in it. And then bought my own practice in 1992 out on Anna Maria Island, Florida, where I, where I currently live now. Well, yeah, I think a lot of dentists, I mean, dentists as a whole aren't big chance takers. We don't, you know, we, we, I think we're kind of conservative when it comes to that and, and we're, we're slow to make decisions. And uh, that's very difficult for somebody to just pick up and move to another state. I know, I know a few that have done it, but most people like me, like I grew up thinking, gosh, Arizona would be such a cool place to live when I would visit there. I loved it. But have I ever moved there? Nope. I just stayed in Dallas. My mom gave me good advice. She was a guidance counselor and she's like, you know, if that's what you want to do, you're going to get settled and, you know, you, you need to do it. And it was scary. I didn't know a soul. I was 25 years old. But in retrospect, it was also a really cool time, you know, kind of moving somewhere when you're young and don't know so, uh, so much and uh, learned a lot. And certainly don't ever regret it. Uh, that, that's for sure. So Yeah, well, that's important. You can't regret it. 
So, yeah, so you mentioned that you you do other things besides your sleep practice and you do some traveling and lecturing. I know you do a lot of that. I see your name on the lecture circuit all the time. Uh, that's one reason I had you come to the round table. We're looking forward to hearing you there. So of all the places you've been and all the places you've lectured, I guess you've done some things internationally too, or uh, just where, where's your favorite place? Where's the thing that the place that stands out? Well, I'd say is the trip, maybe not the lecture so much. Uh, you know, I certainly worked with a lot of great labs, became good friends with people from, and not so, you know, big towns and so forth. But the best lecture I gave is going to seem cliche, so was in Hawaii. And that's because I got to take my whole family on okay. uh, someone else's dime. And we parlayed that into a couple hour, a couple week trip. And my wife surprised me and even had, uh, we flew over in those pods, you know, uh, that, you know, not even first class above that. And really, it was one an outstanding trip. And then the lecture itself was on like the 20th floor of a hotel with spectacular views. And I had to really challenge my lecturing abilities to keep everyone's attention from looking out the windows there. But uh, uh, I would say it was that because it was a great, great trip. Uh, you know, that's one of the nice things about speaking. You can, you know, parlay your, your talking when you get fortunate enough to talk in some place like So you didn't, you didn't shut the blinds or the drapes and... and yeah. No, they didn't have them, best I could tell. So it was it was like not possible. But uh, fortunately, most people there were from Hawaii. So, you know, I guess it was probably not uh, not as uh, as new as it was to, to me. In, in that. Uh, yeah. Well, so so tell us a little bit about your progression. I mean, you you obviously you became a dentist first. And then how how did you get interested in sleep? Uh, 1994. I think it was 94, 95. I still I just saw my first patient uh, for the fourth device uh, within the last year. So wow. she's still my patient 22 years ago, whatever I think it was. So go, you can subtract that around 94, 95. Um, I had my own restorative practice that I was building into more of a prosthetically driven practice on Anna Maria due to going to the Panky Institute and implementing some things I uh, was taught there. And I had a patient that came in and uh, I was checking her for hygiene. And she's on the way out the door. She says, hey, Dr. Yechos, uh, I have apnea. And my doctor says, you can make something for that. Um, can, can you do that? And uh, what I said next changed my life. I said, yes, I can. And I think dentists aren't very good at saying, yes, I can, when they, when they don't know they can do it. I, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know how to do it. But I just actually gotten a brochure from Glidewell, actually. Uh, it was on my desk. I had the silent night on. I just opened my mail. I, I saw that. I thought it must be fate. I must need to, to make her one of these things. And I left the room and said, let me go check another patient and call Glidewell on the phone and ask them how to make this thing. And they said, just take a couple of algae impressions and CO bite as we used to call it. And I said, yep, Miss Nika Stanzo, sure is her name. I said, I'll, I'll help you out. And we took some impressions, gave her the device a few, you know, a week or two later. And uh, uh, within a couple of days, she came back into my office unannounced. And, you know, that's oftentimes a bad thing, yeah. not a good thing, especially when you do a lot of crown and bridge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because usually something's broke or, you know, oh my gosh, what's she doing here? We had her morning huddle. I'm trying to hide from her, but she caught me in the, in the, uh, coming through the reception room door. And I'm like, what's she here for? And she just came up and just said, just hugged me and said, I just want to thank you so much for what you did. And it's a true story. Uh, and she's just, was so excited about her device and how it worked. And uh, long story short, she told so many people, told the physician in town who called me up and said, hey, I didn't know anybody who was trained in dental sleep medicine. And I didn't want to tell him I didn't know anybody that was either at the time, but uh, he started referring me patients. And uh, uh, that was 20 something years ago. And I, you know, but what I thought was easy at the beginning, I realized was 
not easy after I started doing some some more. And there was probably a year, five, six or seven so years in there, maybe more than that, that I was struggled, didn't have systems, uh, and almost quit. And my take-home message is, you know, you got to take chances. And then once you decide you want to do something, it doesn't, you know, a lot of people out there are saying dental sleep's easy. Uh, I, I say it's 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 not difficult, but it's complex. There's lots of pieces. And if you can put those pieces together and make it efficient, it becomes very fun to do. If you can't, you're going to be frustrated. And so that's that's kind of how I got involved. I'm afraid a lot of dentists, you know, they'll go to a seminar and there's seminars everywhere. Every weekend, there's lots of them out there. But they'll go to one and their first patient won't be like yours. They're going to be a frustrating patient. And they're going to say they hate it and, you know, just who knows. But, but then they just throw in the towel and say, well, gosh, if treating dental sleep medicine is like this, so yeah, you're right. You just you've got to take chances, and uh, and dentists don't really like to do that. Yeah, and I, I, I'm with you. Don't don't leave this conversation saying go do one, and you need to always go do a handful. I say a dozen. If you'll do ten or, or more patients, you're gonna realize this is very enjoyable to do. It's fun to do. But yeah, I, I got lucky, uh, and and I think luck and decisions kind of fate all kind of rolls into where you end up in life, and you just gotta make the right decisions. Uh, and then you got to be willing to, to 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 roll the dice and ever so often as well. So. Yeah, yeah. So this this software thing, and I, I I can tell you that I I I've changed software a bunch of times over the years and dental software sleep, but I would never create a software. So what propel you and Dr. Drake to to actually make that decision to do that? I know probably my guess is, and I haven't talked to you about this, is you had you found deficiencies in whatever was out there and you wanted to make something better. It, that's exactly right. There wasn't something that did what we needed it to do. And for me to do this effectively in my office, I was one of the first offices. So 92, I had all touchscreen monitors when I bought the office. I just re renovated it. And I was about 94, about the time I was doing this. I mean, $1,700 a piece for the monitors and digital x-rays. I mean, I, I had all that because I, I like computers. Uh, I, I was in uh, engineering before I went to dental school. Computer started out computer science. Then went to engineering and okay. do another happenstance story we can discuss at another time. I ended up at dental school. And so I had a little bit of a background in that, but, but the softwares I tried to use, I couldn't figure out a way to make this effective. And so Rich and I were talking about it and uh, we got a bid to make a software, mostly just for ourselves at the time. Uh, and it was under six figures at the time. And certainly we spent way, way more than that now on it. And what turned out to be a little project to kind of help us and some of our dentists we were training at the time along turned into this uh, this project that's been going on. Uh, we, we turned on, the software's been in existence for 10 years. We had a 10 year anniversary a couple of months ago. So congratulations, all right. Yeah, we had a, kind of a celebration about that. So uh, glad we did it. Uh, you know, a lot of work. You'd probably be happy you didn't. It, uh, my wife will attest a lot of hours at nights and stuff that uh, was not available to go to dinner and things like that while we were developing. And I'm, I'm just impressed that anybody would, would be able to do that and stick with it because I, I, I wasn't there, but I know how many hours it took to get that done. And that was, that was a labor of love on your part and it's grown 10 years. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. And it's not work when you enjoy it and when you're passionate about it. And so that's something I, learned along the way, probably give a kudos to Pank Institute. You know, if you do what you like to do, you'll do it well and you'll enjoy going to work. And so and developing the software was, you know, to me, it was kind of fun doing it. It still is. Uh, when you look at, hey, how we can make this better. It's, uh, I had a radio uh, Tandy computer 
back in the eighties. And I would stay hours making you know, programming it just for fun when I was a kid. So it's not like, you know, if that's not you, then you don't want to start a software company, but if it's something you enjoy, then it's not. Work. Good point. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of work. So then as an offshoot of that, obviously, you know, that medical billing is like, that's the biggest problem dentists have when they're trying to get involved in dental sleep medicine. So you knew that had to be a part of what you were creating. So tell me how that worked out. Uh, well, <laughs> it wasn't a known thing. So as we started developing this and started training other dentists, we started with a franchise model and then we moved to, to what we have now, which is DS3 Complete, which is education, billing, software support. Uh, and Rich and I had a discussion. Rich Drake and I started the company together, a good friend of mine out in your area, somewhat Texas anyway, the same state. And as we started training the dentists, we realized that they, they weren't doing, they weren't succeeding as much because they didn't have billing under control. And so I went to Rich and said, Rich, we're gonna have to do billing for these people. And that's probably one of the only disagreements we've ever had in, in a dozen more years. He's like, no, we don't wanna, that's a can of worms. I don't want any part of it. And obviously I won the conversation and we decided to start our own billing company because out of just the same reason we did the software out of necessity, because dentists, uh, you know, if they don't have that piece, ultimately they won't long-term succeed. But I do want to mention in my lecture, I'm going to talk about where we've changed. And if you're just first starting doing this, I don't think billing is where you want to start. I think you want to start with fee for service, uh, make it low enough to where you're comfortable providing it. Your patients are saying yes. Because billing is the anchor that drives people to the bottom if they're not don't have it in, in order. And it takes a while to set up. And so start for the first three or four months fee for service. And I'll be talking about how you can do that and some changes in uh, telemedicine and HSTs throughout the country are making that even easier than it used to be. And so you start with that model, get a bunch of cases under your belt, get your systems in place, and then plug in the billing afterwards. That's something we've changed in the last few years that we used to say start with billing. And uh, I think that's a recipe for uh, failure in, in many cases if, if you put everything on the billing. Yeah, that's sort of backwards. I know that from, I hear some dentists that they actually want, before they even take a, a sleep education course at all, they want to take a billing course because they've heard that it's the problem. So they want to learn billing before they even learn how to treat sleep. But you're saying, nah, that's backwards. Yeah, and here's the, here's the reason, Kent, is because they're relying on the billing to cover that to such an extent that the patients say yes to treatment. Right. And it's, it's, it's kind of a crutch. They think, oh, I'll do the billing. Everybody's going to say yes because it's free. Well, first of all, it's usually not free with billing. Or even if, and even if it is, it's teaching the wrong message. They're teaching the dentist to say, oh, you get it to be free and everybody's going to say yes. And instead, you've got to be confident and competent at doing dental sleep. You've got to provide a good service. You have to believe it. You have to say, hey, this is something that's valuable. And you can't rely on the billing to sell all your cases. And so if you start out with a low fee, I advocate that you tell the patients, look, I'm new to this and you're going to get a good deal because of that. And, you know, the fees for this is several thousand dollars. If you come to it back in six months for now, you're one of my first people. It's a thousand bucks, eight hundred dollars, twelve hundred, whatever you want to do. And we're going to learn together and you're going to get a good product. You're going to get a good device and get treated along the way. Then the dentists get their systems in place. They get their confidence up. Uh, and then they also know how much they need to make this successful. People say, how much do I need to charge for this? I don't know. I don't know your overhead. I don't know your lifestyle. I don't know how much you're paying your assistant and your, and your rent. You've got to figure out what you need, and that helps you to do it that way. And since we've been doing that the last, going on a couple of years, we see success rates of dentists increasing uh, from an of initial adoption of, uh, adaption of, uh, of dental sleep. 
That is great. Uh, I bet a lot of dentists will take advantage of that approach and, and try to, to do that because, you know, they're going to probably be coming to the roundtable. So I'm a lot very frustrated, especially with all the changes in medical insurance these days. Good grief. Where do you even see that going in the next one, two, three, five years? Because I, there's some handwriting on the wall that's not really pretty. It kind of goes in hand in hand with my, my talk, which is efficiencies in dental sleep medicine. So instead of relying so much heavily on insurance, if we make this really efficient, that doesn't mean guy makes a big wad full of money at the end because he's very efficient. Yes, that's part of it. But also we can lower the fees if we're very efficient at doing this. And deductibles are going up both in and out of network. And so to assume that, hey, I've got insurance that's going to cover it, even if it's 100% covered, which it usually isn't. And even if you're in network, these people still have to outlay a fair amount of cash often to get the, the devices. And if we can be more efficient, then what we do in my office and what we train is we have a fee-for-service model that continues to exist. And we look at all their interests, in-network, out-of-network, and then fee-for-service, and what makes the most sense for that patient and us as a provider. And then we make a decision based on it. So my, the answer to the question is, I think the deductibles are going up. Reimbursements aren't going to go up. Probably going to come down. And the answer to make this still a viable, uh, profitable, and it can be very profitable. The most profitable thing you can do as a dentist is to be efficient at doing it by having good systems and team members to to uh, to carry out the a lot of the procedures, so that you, the dentist, doesn't have to spend hours with each patient while still delivering a, a great service. So, in your opinion, if let's say medical insurance went away completely, if your systems were efficient enough, and your overhead was in line, you could make this still a profitable thing to do and, and you would be still saving lives and relationships and careers. We can do this today for under uh, uh, smile direct fees. I mean, those are less than two grand. I mean, in my office, our fee for service is under two grand. Mine is too. And we make more money in many cases than we do with insurance because a lot of the stuff you've got to do goes away. It becomes a lot more efficient system. And so as we get devices that are less and the fast track calibration I'm going to talk about, makes the follow-up a lot quicker and easier, less time. Uh, this becomes, I mean, people pay smile directs, you know, not that I'm not promoting them by any way, but they make a lot of money. A lot of patients rip out $1,800 out of their pockets for that. Surely to goodness, we can get people to give us $1,800 or under to breathe, at, uh, to, to breathe at night and to live longer and live better. I mean. You would think it, some of it has to do with verbal skills, but I couldn't agree with you more. They should be willing to do that. Well, Dr. Yatros has been very nice talking to you today. Uh, I'm personally looking very forward to this talk at the roundtable, uh, and it's going to be on efficiency in the workflow, right? Basically, that's that's what we're talking about here. Yeah, how, you know, how do you do this profitably and efficiently? And then some of the changes that have happened recently, we're going to emphasize, like telemedicine visit, changes in home sleep tests, what we call our fast track calibration techniques, as well as team involvement. So it's... Uh, It'll be fast paces. I'm one of the fastest Southerners that, that you've ever heard talk. Uh, and so we'll cram a lot in the hour or so that I get the opportunity to speak. And I look forward to hopefully seeing everyone at the round table. I've been to the event many times in the past. You do a great job. It's a great service you do for the dental sleep medicine community. And it's just an all, all around great meeting. I'm looking forward to, to being there and seeing you all there. Thanks for putting it on again, Kim. You bet. Thanks, Guy. For those of you who have not registered for the round table, we'll have hundreds of dentists, sleep dentists, their teams, all coming out, we'll have great speakers just like Dr. Yatros, a nice celebratory dinner on Saturday night, all kinds of fun stuff. Just go to sleeproundtable.com 
get registered. Hope to see all of you at the round table. Thanks again, Dr. Yatros. Really enjoyed our talk. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Sleep Roundtable podcast. Don't forget to head to sleeproundtable.com to register for the 10th annual Sleep Roundtable and to subscribe to our show. See you in Dallas in October.